after years, like I, I, I did some things independently for a while, um, but nothing was really panning out. So I actually, I went through a very, very, very rough time of because I, you know, I went through a phase where I was making a, a lot of money. Um, I got married during that time too, to another person in the business. Uh, just like money was never an issue, um, access to things was never an issue. Um, then that became an issue because I didn't have expense account anymore. I didn't have a big salary anymore. Um, so my life changed, and I kind of it changed drastically. And I became, I, I guess, depressed. I was very depressed because um, my lifestyle was completely different. And not just different. It was just, it was drastic. I went from high to like a thousand to zero. Um, so I felt down and out, but I said to myself, I'm not going to look down and out, <laughs> you know? So I just, um, I started going to the gym. Welcome to the Pretty Girl Sweat Show which highlights women who are balancing demanding careers with a healthy lifestyle and hurtling over personal and professional obstacles. Each week, I have a sister-to-sister chat with an inspiring go-getter, and listeners learn how good things come to those who sweat. Hey, Sweat Sisters. You're listening to Episode 8 of the Pretty Girl Sweat Show, and today our guest is Angelique Miles. The New York native is a stunning, ageless beauty who knows how to survive and thrive. After being downsized out of her decades-long career as a record label vice president who signed Timbaland, Missy Elliott, Little Kim, and Busta Rhymes, she rediscovered her purpose and reinvented her body as a fitness enthusiast, blogger, and advocate for looking and living fabulously at any age. By the end of this episode, you'll learn how her biggest losses made her stronger and more beautiful than ever before. If this is your first time listening, what up? You could be anywhere in the world and you're here with me and I really appreciate that. If you love what you hear, take a second to subscribe to the podcast so you get updates every time we drop a new episode. If you got half a second, leave a rating, which will help other sweat sisters in need of some inspiration find our podcast. If you have a minute, please follow us across all social media platforms. We are at Pretty Girl Sweat on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter and YouTube. Use the hashtag Pretty Girl Sweat when sharing this episode. And if you have five minutes, please leave a review and let us know how we're doing. Angelique, finally. I, I know, right? <laughs> I have you on the show. I'm so excited to have you here for so many reasons. But more so, I feel that so many more people need to know your story and your journey. So it's really an honor to be able to share it on this platform. Okay. <laughs> All right. So I always feel the best way to begin talking about someone's journey is to take everyone back to your childhood. Are there any memories that you have of your childhood that stick out the most? Um, regarding health or just in general? Just in general. Um, just like something from your childhood that really defines you and who you are today. Oh, from my childhood, let's think. Well, I grew up here in New York mm-hmm. in uh, an area of Queens called Wellington, Queens. It's in Southeast Queens. So I have memories of Playing outside, um, handball, stickball, punch, not even stickball, punch ball, because we didn't have a stick. <laughs> um, so we played punch ball and we had um, natural bases, like home base was a manhole, second base, first base was a telephone pole, second base was another manhole, and third base was like a sewer. <laughs> <laughs> so I have good childhood memories of just um, playing outside with friends without a care in the world. And maybe I'm thinking that because right now I'm at my parents' house where I grew up. So I'm looking outside and it's a beautiful day and I'm having that memory. Mm. Well, tell us about your parents. What should we know about them? My parents, um, they met here in New York, but neither one of them are from New York. My mother is from Houston, Texas, by way of Louisiana. My father is from 
D.C., Washington, D.C., by way of North Carolina. Mm. Um, my mother came here to live in Brooklyn with her grandmother when she was younger and went to St. Peter Claver and um, where I was, where my parents were married and I was baptized. My father came here when he was in the service in the 50s and he lived in Harlem, where I live now. Mm. And they met, they met through a mutual friend here in New York City. My mother is, was, she's retired now, but she was an English teacher. And my dad um, was head of security at the museum, at the American Museum of Natural History for 30 years. He started there in 1966, um, the year I was born, and um, retired in 1996. So I grew up at the American Museum of Natural So that's why you're so smart. Okay. <laughs> this explains a lot. See what we learn when we dig a little deeper? Okay. So <laughs> siblings. I have two brothers, um, an older brother who's like eight years older than me, so we never hung out. You know, we never, you know, it's like a different world than I am. And then I have a younger brother who... Um, also in, was also in, in the entertainment industry, as we'll get into, um, like I was. Oh. But um, he's about four years younger than me. So we, we were pretty, you know, he was in, when he was in high school, I was in college. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, so we were in, we, were dope. we don't, we never necessarily had the same friends and stuff like that. But I was, I'm the only girl. So were you kind of like his second mom, though? No. <laughs> You're like, no, I wasn't doing anything no, for that dude. Nothing like that. We fought, we fought like cats and dogs. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. Well, did you, so you mentioned, you know, memories of playing sports growing up. I'm sure you, you know, your, your little brother may have participated in that or not. Or you may have done that with your friends. But what, what did fitness look like in a healthy lifestyle look for you all in your household? Um, you know, I can't say my parents were ever really into it, but, but my parents are, um, they're not, my, not neither one of my parents drink mm-hmm. nor smoke. Um, back when in the seventies, I think in a lot of black families, we were eating probably very unhealthy things. Like, I don't know if people remember like Scrapple and, mm-hmm. uh, you remember Scrapple? Oh Scrapple yeah. <laughs> Fried pork chops yes. and things like that. And, uh, you know, my mother would make greens with neck bones. But I do remember as times change, she would use, um, you know, smoked turkey instead of neck bones. Or, um, you know, we, we stopped eating fried pork chops and, <laughs> you know, things like that. So I can say that as, as you know, the more they knew, they transferred it transferred it onto us. Mm. Um, but we're all naturally, um, like neither one of them are big or anything like that. Like my parents were small up and, you know, up until they got older and no real health issues, even now in their eighties. Um, and I, I think it's, that's attributed to the fact that they didn't smoke or drink. Yeah. Like I've never, I've never seen them smoke or drink. My mother may have a beer once or a glass of wine once in a blue moon, but None of those vices were ever seen here. Mm. For me, my, my parents made sure I was active. Like I went to dance school. My little brother was, I still call him my little brother. He's 47 years old. <laughs> I still call him my little brother, but he was um, like a baseball star. Like he was in the little league and he played baseball all throughout high school. So we both had our thing. Like they, they both, they made sure that we were, active in that way. We had to choose something in mind. Um, we played sports in the neighborhood because, you know, that's what you did. But yeah. I went to dance school for a long time. So did you um, continue doing dance all the way through high school? I'm until I was about 16 and then I got fast and grown and <laughs> feel like going, spending my all day, all, all weekend <laughs> at dance school. <laughs> okay. And so that speaks volumes too because one of the things that is interesting is that girls do get to a point in their life where they kind of make that transition where they're doing something regularly whether it's an um, after school activity or they're playing a sport and then you know they kind of shift to doing something else or lack thereof so what do you think were some of the reasons why you um, decided to either not play a sport or to discontinue dance um, I was never into sports like that. 
um, like I said, we played um, punch ball here just as something to do. I can't say that I, I was that into it. I, but my best friend at the time was a track star. Like her family was really into track. So I tried track and I was like, I don't like it. And, you know, um, so I was like, dance school, I liked dance. I liked, but I can't say that I ever wanted to do as a profession. And my father got really, really upset with me one time because, um, before they performed at city center, Alvin Ailey dance theater used to perform, have their yearly, uh, whatever they, you know, those performances at the American Museum of Natural History. Uh-huh. So my father knew Alvin Ailey when he was still alive. And my, of course, my parents thought I was like the best dancer ever. Yeah. I never felt that way about myself. I never, you know, had the flexibility that some people did or the point that some other people did. And, um, so when he introduced me to Alvin Ailey, he was like, would you like to dance with me? I was like, no, <laughs> cause I didn't think I was, you know, I think I was very good. And I knew it wasn't something I wanted to pursue long-term. I always knew that it was something I enjoyed doing, but I never thought I, I want to do this as like, as a profession. Well, you know, at so. least you can check meeting Alvin Ailey off your bucket list though. <laughs> Absolutely. I wish, I wish, you know, Instagram or, uh, you know, Cell smartphones were around them because I would would have had a picture. I don't Uh, have a picture. Exactly. I mean, but hey, we believe you though. You're a trustworthy person. I believe you met him. (laughs) (laughs) My father knew him very, not very well, but knew him through working at the museum. Oh, that's awesome. So then you went to Hampton University. What made you go to that prestigious HBCU? Well, actually, my first, and people, and Bison will, Love this story. My okay. first choice was actually Howard. Oh, okay. It gets juicy. All right, let's go. <laughs> but my father is from Washington, D.C., and this is like the cocaine 80s. <laughs> In that area of D.C. was like, it was it was really bad. Yeah. And my father, knowing D.C. like he did, he's like, you're not going to Howard. So my god sister from D.C. was like, well, I'm going to Hampton. It's about three hours from D.C. I was like, I guess, okay, I'll fly to Hampton. So I went to Hampton. There you go. And what was your major? I'm I'm glad I did. I was um, business administration with a concentration in marketing. First it was finance, and I was like, oh, no, I don't like this. (laughs) (laughs) And so then I uh, switched it to marketing later. But I wish I'd majored in something else, actually. Really? In retrospect, I should have majored in communications. Mm -hmm. But back then... I only thought about, okay, what are, you know, making money when I got out of school? Because I think that's what my parents drilled into me. They were like, major in something where you can make money when you get out of school. Instead of what, which I drove into my son is do something you enjoy so you can get out of school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, because um, undergrad doesn't really, unless you're doing something technical, it doesn't really matter what you major in. Exactly. So, but I, so I wish I'd majored in communications. But anyway, um, yeah, business administration, marketing. Well, you also said you were happy or glad that you went to Hampton. Why is that? Because um, I had a great experience there. I mean, you know, the regular ups and downs of going to school. But I, I met some lifelong friends there. Um, I think being in D.C. during that time, I probably could have gone in a different direction, mm-hmm. you know, because there was a lot going on. I was, I was, I grew up pretty strict um in a strict environment because I went to an all-girl Catholic school okay and um I think I would have been just I don't know I could have been lost in DC even mm-hmm. though I'm from New York I was I was a sheltered New York yeah. girl I wasn't uh very streetwise or you know I, I, it's, I don't think it would have worked me being in a big another big city mm-hmm and when you stepped on that campus as a freshman, what were you envisioning your life would be like once you graduated? Well, I will say that I first went to pre-college. Okay. So I had, I had like a head start at Hampton. So before, so when I got there as a, in, in August as a freshman, I kind of had a head start and had met a bunch of upperclassmen and stuff like that already. So, um, but I thought I'm going to, when I, when I leave here, I'm going to be ready for the world. 
Mm. And uh, I'm going to be successful and ready for the world because I'm here. And I met, I was meeting so many different black people, like in New York, um, you, you live in a neighborhood and that's the black, those are the black people you see, or you don't see what's behind closed doors in New York. Like it could be a graffiti stained door and behind it could be a palace. Mm -hmm. Whereas, um, I met people, um, at Hampton, like I met, you know, people who were middle-class people who were poor and people who were really like upper middle class and wealthy black people. I've never met people like wealthy black people before, <laughs> you know? So, um, it was, it was a great experience. I didn't pledge. I didn't pledge. Um, I did go to an AKA rush. Good. Good choice. Okay. <laughs> I didn't pledge because it was like, uh, I don't know. I think a lot of New Yorkers don't pledge. Yeah. It's really not a part of the like culture in the Northeast. Yeah, I didn't really feel like I, needed to belong to anything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so I was just like, uh, um, you know, but my roommate, she was disappointed because she pledged Delta. She was like, I'm going to pledge Delta. You're going to pledge AKA and we're going to do this. We're going to do that. And I was like, oh, that's so much. <laughs> but, um, I, but I appreciate the experience. Like she, you yeah. know, I was there when she was going through, um, her pledging experience. Yeah. It was, it was, you know, the lines were deep then, like 50 each. Or yeah. And it was, it was just part of the whole experience and homecoming. And yeah, it was a great experience. I, I, I love that I went to an, H, an HBCU. Okay. So. Well, you mentioned success. Um, that's what you were hoping for when you graduated. What, at that age, what did success really, really mean to you or look like to you? Um, to me, it looked like you were, you had a house, you had a husband, you had two cars and you had children who were smart in school, <laughs> <laughs> you know, probably, I, I'm sure I had a very idealistic look, outlook on what success should be. Okay. Um, but when I got out of school that, you know. <laughs> had a rude awakening. <laughs> well, um, you we're going to talk about your career in a little bit, but um, you know you had a pretty successful journey. How were there any specific hacks that you learned in college that you still use today? In college, yeah, like when it comes to just like time management or like you know whether it's studying anything that you picked up in college that you still apply today. Um, I, I would say just really focus mm -hmm. because being, being at a, a, at Hampton or historically black college, you can really, it can get you off focus very easily because, you know, there's always something else going on, mm -hmm. always something else going on. So you have to really just shut all the noise out and focus, um, and that, that can be really difficult. And even now, um, sometimes living where I live in New York city, like a place like Harlem is always something going on. And sometimes I just have to shut out all the noise and focus on what I'm doing. Being in New York city period can be distracting, but um, if I have a goal to meet or a deadline to meet, I have to really just uh, focus and maybe not attend an event I'd like to attend or mm -hmm. When it's nice outside, I can't get out. <laughs> you know, one of those 80 degree days when you want to be at the beach, but you have to stay in. Exactly. You know, so it's just, that I, I would say that's the only thing I, that I remember that applied because college was so long ago. That was 30 years ago. For me. So I, don't, I don't remember what I was doing. <laughs> See, that's the gag. You look so young. It's like people are going to be like, 30 years ago. Um, okay. <laughs> Actually, 30, it's my 30-year anniversary. Oh, congrats. Yeah. That's so awesome. Yeah. Wow. That's dope. Okay. Well, tell, tell us about your first job. What did you do exactly to get your foot in the door? My first job was actually in finance. Okay. Um. And sometimes you have to do something to realize that's not what you want to do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and finance was, you know, cause I majored in finance and, um, somehow I got to Shearson Lehman Hutton and they were on the 102nd floor of two world trade. 
and you had to take like two elevators up. First of all, it was like an hour and a half commute to Wall Street from Queens. And then it's like that two or three elevators up to 102nd floor. I was always late because I had to be at like 830. So I had to leave my house at seven. I was miserable. Um, And it wasn't, and I was like, this can't be life. Right. I don't like this. It was very um, rigid. Like uh, this is 1988 again. So like, I remember the head, I worked in mutual fund sales and I remember the head of the department was like, women have to wear skirts. And I was like, I don't want to work anywhere where anybody tells me I have to wear a skirt. So mm-hmm. it'd be the dead of winter and you're wearing tights and sneakers and skirts just so, you know, you, you're, you're adhering to dress code. Yeah. Work. So um, I was like, this is not what I want to do. I'm clear about that. I'm only 21. I still live at home. I don't have any children. I'm just going to quit and I'll figure it out later. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm like, why stay here if I don't have to? So I was like, you know, my mother, when I was in high school, uh, my mother was like, learn how to type. So I used to practice typing all the time. In in fact, at the school I went to, we had a typing class. So I knew how to type really fast, like 80 words per minute. So I said, I'm just going to attempt to make money until I figure out what it is I want to do. Yeah. So, um, they, for about six months, they sent me to different places. I worked all over the city, which was cool because I really learned the New York city subway system mm-hmm. of working temp because I was, I was sent so many different places and there was one, and they used to be these big companies that these big tape agencies, you would just go, just go like, you didn't have to make a phone call. You would just go and you, they would test your typing and you'd fill out these applications and be like, okay, we're going to call you you know, let you know what work is available. And you get these phone calls and you'd, you'd work for like a week or two someplace. It was, I don't know if that still exists, but um, so one day they sent me to Capitol Records A&R department. Mm. And I basically never left. But I will say, I'll preface that to say, I knew I wanted to be in the music business by that time because okay. um, I, there were people that I went to school with at Hampton who were in the business and um, I'll never forget, I was talking to a friend of mine who went to Hampton and she went, she worked at RCA Records. And actually, this is before I was temping. I, we were having a conversation about getting together and hanging out. And it was um, holidays, holidays, Christmas holidays. So I was like, well, you know, I got to get up and go to work tomorrow, even though it's Christmas. I think I talked to her on Christmas Day. And, and I was like, you know, what's your work week looking like? She was like, well, no, in the industry, in the music industry, everybody has off for the holidays. Like, we don't work from Christmas to after New Year's. I was like, what? <laughs> I need to be in that business. Because <laughs> all this going back to work the day after Christmas is for the birds. Exactly. So I was, I made it my mission. And I was like, I love music. And they don't, you know, they seem to have the relaxed environment I want to be in. Mm-hmm. So, um, when, when, uh, CTI, which was the name of the temp agency, when they sent me to Capitol Records a and department, I was like, wow, I, I felt like I manifested that. And, mm-hmm. um, I met a woman there, you know, I was vocal about wanting to stay in the business. And she said, well, you know, there's a job available upstairs at EMI. Capitol and EMI were owned by the same people at the time. And, um, She's like, give me your resume and I'll give it to the A&R guy up there and, you know, see what happens. So I got that job and I worked um, as an A&R assistant at EMI Records. That was my first job in the record business. Wow. So would you say that the moment you got fed up with wearing tights and skirts to work was like, <laughs> and, and decided to start going to a temp agency, was that like the biggest risk you've ever taken in your career to shift it? Um, I'd say so, probably. But, you know, it was very, it made sense to me at the time. I didn't really view it as a risk because, as I said, I was living at home. I didn't have rent to pay. Yeah. I didn't have a child. I didn't have, you know, I didn't have a car payment or anything like that. I, you know, I felt like the world was, I was young enough for the world to be my oyster. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, I don't have to, I knew intuitively that I don't have to do this. 
Yeah. I can do something I want to do. And I still live by that today. I can, I can be happy doing the job I do. I don't have to, uh, be unhappy working wherever, just for a check. Well, maybe we can explain to everyone exactly what your position was um, or transitioned into at EMI. Explain kind of what that job entitles, like what the duties are. Um, I was an A&R assistant at EMI Records, and you assist the A&R director or vice president. And A&R stands for Artisan Repertoire. They are the people who um, executive produce albums, they sign the artists. So you're listening. So we would get a bunch of demos. So I had to log demos. I would have to field calls, do travel. Um, I, was so, I did everything that they asked me to do regarding mm-hmm. artists and the, in the, in the production of their records. Who were some of the artists that you worked with? Um, at that point, there was an artist named Jazz on the label and that that's where I first met Jay-Z because they had a record called Hawaiian Sophie back then it was like red hot chili peppers and (laughs) uh EMK had that song unbelievable um Mm -hmm. Karen Wheeler was there um so I remember from EMI I was only at EMI for maybe a year and then I went to um Epic Records where I was uh, an AR assistant there and I worked with the person who signed Groove Theory Oh. And they also signed the first act I would later sign to a publishing deal. Um, so at Epic, that's where I met many of the people that are still around today, like Vivian Scott Chu and um, Gwen Niles. I met her at um, Epic. I met some pretty amazing people at Epic. Okay. Um, but so I was an a assistant for maybe three years before I had my first um, my first executive job. Okay. And then within your executive job, what were your duties? I was, um, my first executive job was a manager East coast creative at Warner Chapel music publishing. A black woman by the name of Michelle Fields hired me. And by this time I had a baby. <laughs> okay. I met my son's father I had a child and we both had babies the same age. So I think that's mm. where the connection was. I think that's why she wanted to, because there were other contenders with more experience than I had, but she, I think, felt a connection to me because of our children and hired me. And I also mm. had other people speak up for me because, my, like I said, my boss at the time was a successful A&R person, and I think Hiram Hicks, uh, who signed, uh, who had, who managed Keith Sweat and some other really big acts at the time who were on Wanna Chapel. He spoke, he, he spoke in my favor. And also Cassandra Mills was another person who recommended me to Michelle for that job. So I had a lot of help, but, um, yeah, it was, that was 1993. Okay. It was, uh, I was a manager and I made $50,000 a year. At the age of 25. 25? That is not too shabby. Yeah. Not too shabby. And that was amazing so, when $50,000 was a much longer way. Uh, does yeah, yeah, absolutely. It did. Um, so out of those mentors that you mentioned um, who moved the needle for you, what is some advice um, that they gave you throughout your career that um, took you maybe even a step further in that position? I can't say that I got a lot of advice. Um, I think people, I, 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 I look to what people like Cassandra Mills and Vivian Scott, Chu, well, she was just Vivian Scott at the time, and um, the people who were doing what I wanted to do, I just use their example. But I can't say, I really can't say I got a lot of advice, honestly. I learned, um, I kind of learned a lot on my own. Mm-hmm. Well, how did you learn on your own? Um, are there any specific ways that you um, learned things? Was it, just, was it just through trial and error? Was it through reading? I did read. Um, there's a book that everyone read in the 90s. And I think there's been like 12 different editions since then. I think it was The Business of Music. 
I forget who the author was, but everybody's like, read the publish because I didn't know anything about music publishing when I got the job. Mm. It was like it was like read that chapter in the book, and you'll and they'll tell you everything <laughs> you need to know about music publishing, <laughs> and you will earn that fifty thousand dollars, girl. Just read that chapter. I'm like, read that chapter. Like, forget all the school that you did for four years, and the, you know the other years before that. This chapter, read that's that you straight. Chapter. <laughs> I love it. Um, it was really, it was a very, you know, I was lucky because Warner Chapel was like, as far as music publishing companies go, it was like one of the 900 pound gorillas, which is what the book called them, actually. Like Warner Chapel, EMI at the time, which is now Sony. It was like, if I had to work for any music publishing company, that was the best music publishing to work, music publishing company to work for. And they also gave me an office um, by, uh, who, who was previously occupied by a songwriter named Sammy Khan, who had just passed away. Mm. And he was the songwriter that wrote like high hopes and take me out to the ball game. Like he was like this icon and they mm. gave me his old office. Wow. Which that I was is... like, that's a sign. Yeah. And his energy. Yeah. Kind of rubbed off on you. That's awesome. And, um, like I said, money back then was different in the music industry. So it was like, oh, go find some, you know, go furniture shopping and buy, buy yourself some furniture for your office. And mm-hmm. um, I had a really nice size office, huge desk. And um, I was just really just excited to be 20 <laughs> something and, and, you know, having the opportunity. And uh, yeah, so it was just really about, um, connecting with attorneys and uh, connecting with the writers. Yeah. Okay. So what inspires you to start sharing your health journey online? Um, Okay. Well, fast forward to many years later and, uh, you know, I will say while I was a music publisher, I signed some pretty amazing acts like Timbaland and Missy and Busta Rhymes and ODB, Junior Mafia, Little Kim, so I had a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of success. I grew from manager to vice president there. And from there, I went to uh, Universal Records. But the business changed, especially after 9-11. Mm-hmm. Um, so long story short, I had a couple of more jobs after going to chapel, but the business changed to the point where um, I, my last job, they didn't renew my contract. So... Uh, I stopped working. And for whatever reason, even with my pedigree, I wasn't in my experience and all my successes. I wasn't able to get all my success. I wasn't able to get another job. Mm-hmm. But, and I, I still to this day don't really understand why. But yeah. now, well, kind of, now I kind of do. I wasn't supposed to work in music anymore. And honestly, I don't think I had the passion for it that I did when I first started anyway. It became, you know, a bur- it became very burdensome for someone to ask me to listen to their music. I'm like, I don't want to listen to another demo. I don't want to, I want to listen to music and not have to critique it. I want people to um, be my friend because they they like me as a person, not because I do what I do for a living. Mm-hmm. So um, I think I became disenchanted with it. And my, my work probably reflected that. So, um, after years, like I, I, don't know, I did some things independently for a while, um, but nothing was really panning out. So I actually, I went through a very, very, very rough time of, because I, you know, I went through a phase where I was making a, a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, I got married during that time too, to another person in the business and, just like money was never an issue. Um, access to things was never an issue. Um, then that became an issue because I didn't have the expense account anymore. I didn't have the big salary anymore. Um, so my life changed and I kind of, it changed drastically and I became, I, I guess, depressed. I was very depressed because, um, my lifestyle was completely different. And, and not just different. It was just, it was drastic. I went from high to like a thousand to zero. Mm. Um, so I felt down and out, but I said to myself, 
I'm not going to look down and out, <laughs> you know? So I just, um, I started going to the gym and, um, as I was getting older, cause by this time I was in my, I was about 40 and, um, certain things that I used to do just weren't working anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I used to, all throughout my twenties and my thirties, I worked out just for, you know, I want to gain some muscle because I was very skinny. And I was like, I just want to gain some muscle and here and there. And But by the time I reached 40, it became, oh, my goodness, I'm, like, I'm spreading in places I'm not used <laughs> to, you know, spreading. I can't eat what I want. Like, what is going on? So I started to step it up, and that's when I heard about CrossFit. Mm-hmm. So I was like, that looks like something. Like, that'll get me in the shape I want to get in. And when I started, the workouts were so crazy and hard. I was like, I have to tell somebody about this. Like, I ran two miles Mm -hmm. today, and I've never, like, I was never able to run for more than five minutes. But I ran two miles today, came back and did 50 kettlebell swings, and ran another 400 meters. Like, they would have us do these crazy things, but I was doing them. You know, I I may be the last person to finish a wad, which is the workout of the day, but everyone... Mm -hmm would be so encouraging, like, Angelique, you got this, you know, it was like, um, you know, it was like, you know, your, your box, which they call CrossFit gyms is, it was like your family. Yeah. So I, my, the workouts I was doing, I was so proud of myself. I was like, I'm going to post it. So at first it was just on Twitter. Cause this is, you know, around the beginning or Instagram wasn't popular yet. So, but as uh, Instagram, when I found out about Instagram, I started posting like, you know, not pictures of myself a lot, but more, um, like I'm at, you know, a picture of the CrossFit box and this is the workout I did today. So after a while, I, I mean, I was doing it every day and people were like, Oh yeah, you inspired me to get up and work out today. I saw your workout. That's a crazy workout. And, um, it just grew from there. See, it was, which is pretty amazing. I'm still it amazed is. by it because it just, it just grew and grew and grew and it kept growing. It's, it's, so it's just being, uh, and I was like, well, um, and, and during this time I was still trying to figure out what it is I wanted to do to make money. I, I mean, during this time I went and got my notary license. I got my real estate license. Uh, I was still like, I guess, turning over rocks to see what, where the prize was. And I just, I was like, I don't, I don't think real estate's for me. I don't think this is for me. And I just sat my, sat down one day and I said, what do you want to get up and do every day and make a living? I was like, I just want to get up every day and work out (laughs) and practice other forms of self-care and inspire other people to do the same and make a living from it. So I just, stayed focused on that and I wasn't making any money in the beginning. Um, but I was still, I I couldn't really tell, I didn't know how I was going to monetize it, but I knew it could be monetized somehow down the line. So I couldn't really explain it to people when they would ask me, well, what are you doing? Like you just posted, especially people my age, because things have to be tangible for people my age. Mm -hmm. It's like, so are you selling a book? Are you, um, personal trainer? Are you like, what is it that you do? And I'm like, I can't explain it. No, I'm, I, I don't have a book yet. Maybe, but that's not what this is about. I have, right. I have no interest in personal training anyone. Um, but I do want to inspire and motivate people to put their health first and to, as a middle-aged woman, to even be a little vain. That's what I'm doing. I don't know how it's going to work out, but this, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, and here we are, like I, I'd say five years later since I started really taking it seriously and um, it's become a, a viable business for me. Wow. And what are some ways that, um, oh, no, oh no, I'm hearing an echo of myself. Why is that? Hello, hello. Okay, it went away. All right. <laughs> so, what are some things that you did during this um, journey to becoming, you know, a health enthusiast, um, business entrepreneur? Are there any specific things that you did to 
turn this into a business rather than just you sharing and, and um, inspiring people online? You know, I can't say that I did. Honestly. <laughs> I, I, no, I take that back. I um, started speaking on panels okay, and networking um, with other wellness enthusiasts because um, I've expanded more. It's, it's, it's more than fitness now. It's wellness. It's lifestyle. Um, because I, fitness is a part of my life, but it's not all my life. I'm not one of those people that spends, that's all day in the gym. I don't, I can't do that. Like I, I want to go to the gym and then I want to go have lunch and I want to, you know, be social and hang out with friends. And, um, so that's, it's become more of a wellness and lifestyle brand than, than just fitness. But I, okay. but I will say that I just, um, spend time with like-minded people. And um, through social media, people just started to take notice and start reaching out to me. And what has been your proudest moment so far? Um, I will say, you know what? It's so funny you should ask that because today, and by the time you post this, it'll be known. I'm launching, I've, I've been named um, a woman of excellence for the month of April by BMW. Wow, that's awesome. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. So actually, when I get off the phone with you, I'm about to post it. And um, it, 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 was, it was, it's just really surreal for me to be recognized by a brand, a world-renowned brand that I've, you know, admired for forever that's recognizing me as a woman of excellence. Wow. And um, so I, I, I would say... This moment today, actually, is I'm like, okay, this is what I've been working towards. So yeah. as a woman of excellence, I'm like driving a B, uh, an X5 this month. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's just like, this is, this is what I kind of envisioned it to be, but I didn't know it was, I didn't know it, was, it would be this, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, today is a proud moment for me because I'm being recognized for just being me. That's dope. So dope. Well, congrats again on that. We can't wait to see. Um, I'm sure you'll, you'll Instagram in yes. your new X5. <laughs> uh, we can't wait to see some uh, visuals of that. That's going to be awesome. Um, okay. So let's fast forward to some of your routines and habits. What, what are some things you do every morning and every night that you just try to never avoid? Um, every morning I wake up and I say, thank you. Hmm. And then I have apps on my phone and I know some people don't want to get on their phone in the mornings, but my, my routine's on my phone. So I have uh, three apps that I go to every morning. One is, no, four. One is the Bible app and I read the verse of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, then the second is Jesus calling. So I read whatever the word is for the day on that. Um, then I do... Uh, the secret to money app where they have all these affirmations. So I go through the affirmations and the secret to money app. Mm. And um, then I meditate and I use one of many apps <laughs> that I have for that. I like calm and escape and I have uh, simple habits. I can, I only do like five minute meditation. So I'm not the most I'll do is 10 minutes. I'm not like a 20 minute meditation person. So I'll meditate for about five minutes um, on just, you know, just to clear my mind. So I try to do that every morning. I do that every morning. Okay. And what about at night? At night, I don't really have that much of a routine because I'm usually like last night I was out. (laughs) My my only routine at night is, is taking the makeup off my face, taking my lashes off and makeup off my face. (laughs) Well, speaking of beauty products, that was a good segue. Uh, What are some beauty products that you cannot live without? Okay, I was just telling someone this last night because I wear my hair really short and I wear it, um, I just wash and go. But Nairobi Wrap, Wrap It Lotion is like, if, I, if I'm if i going someplace overnight and I forget it, it's like, I have to go back. I have to go back <laughs> and we have to find a beauty supply store right now because I can't, like, that's my, my jam. Mm-hmm. That's one thing for my hair. For base, I'm a big fan of oils. Okay. 
So I use the, um, these products by a company called Moon, M-U-N, Skincare, and all their products have argan oil in them, including mm-hmm. the cleanser. The toner has like rose or something in it. Um, and the oil they use is, I use argan oil on my face and I use sunscreen on top of that. Okay. And what do you typically eat before and after a workout? Typically, my typical breakfast in the mornings is a half avocado and two boiled eggs. Okay. And then after, I try to do a protein shake and some kind of um, protein like fish or chicken and a salad. Okay. Well, if it's a cheat day, what would you eat? It's on and popping, anything. (laughs) I I had yesterday, it wasn't a cheat day, but I had a hamburger yesterday and it was so good. Like, where was it from? What was the restaurant? You know what? I, I'm, I'm ashamed. I'm not, I'm not even ashamed to say it. But in Harlem, there's this guy that has a hamburger cart on 119th Street and Lenox Avenue. Okay. And there's a line outside the cart. Mm. But, but the burgers are 100% beef and they're so good. And they're like two bucks. And we were, we, I was starving. And my friend and I were like, we're going to stop at the hamburger guy. He's a well-known guy in the neighborhood. Like the, ham- like, the hamburger is so good. Like I don't ha- it's just, and it's small. It's not like I felt like I, I didn't feel like I was eating like a Barnasaurus burger. It was small enough where I'm like, okay, I, I got my fix. And, and then some people would say, I don't eat, but he's clean. It's all good. So I had that. Oh I had that. Yes. I'm like, listen, you supported a local business. You should pat yourself on the back, girl. <laughs> no, no, he's a really nice man. And he has all of the condiments out there. He has like, you know, uh-huh. and the relish and the, but yeah, it's, it's, that's and just, it is always, there's always a line. Mm, that's good. Um, that's awesome for him. I, I love, sometimes I love, um, uh, fried chicken, of course. Like mm-hmm. sometimes I just have a, like, I just, like, it overtakes me. <laughs> I just have to have a piece of fried chicken today. Um, <laughs> French fries, of course, um, champagne. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love sweets, like cakes and cookies and stuff like that. So when I cheat, it's usually dessert, actually. Okay. Yeah. Well, other than CrossFit, are there any other, like, group fitness workouts that you enjoy? Um, my first group fitness love is uh, a bar classes. Okay. I started bar way before it was a trend um, in the late nineties with the Lottie Burke method. And the Lottie Burke method is the grandmother of all bar classes. Mm. So they had a townhouse on 67th and Madison Avenue and you go there and pay like $20 for a class. And it changed my body completely. And you Mm -hmm. not only do you, gain muscle, but you, um, you lengthen your muscles through all this like intense stretching you do after you do these muscle building exercises. I just love it. I just love the class. It really changes your body through small, intense movements. You're not, you know, you're working with weights, but not heavy weights. It's just all, it's just a great workout, low impact workout. Um, so that's my first love. And now there's all kinds of bar classes like exhale is where I go. Now there's physique 57 there's bar three, there's fly, fly bar. There's so many bar classes now, but it all began with the Lottie Burke method. Um, I like, I do Bikram yoga when I can, like I, I, I go, I do that in spurts. Like I'll go for a couple of months and I'll stop. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. I, but I, I'm a big proponent of class pass or, or things like that to, so I can try out different things. So I just like to try different things. I like Barry's Boot Camp, Orange Theory. I do it all. Oh, wow. Yeah, you have tried them all. That's cool. That's cool, though. You have to try them all, though. You're like a fitness influencer. You have to test, try every little thing and test it. I do it for that, and I do it for me, too, because I, I like to just switch it up. I am in the same gym at least three or four times a week though. Okay. But those other two days that I work out, I like to just, I like to do something different. Well, since you're sweating so much, I mean, typically wait, how, how many days a week do you work out? Uh, four to five, sometimes six. Lately it's okay. been like three days. I've been bad because I've been so busy, but it's, but I try to get no less than four. Usually it's five. Well, what's your go-to deodorant? 
after a workout or before, before a workout, actually. <laughs> right now I'm using uh, Dove. I like Dove too. Dove, mm-hmm. yeah. Dove, the spray, the spray one. I don't even know. It doesn't even matter the scent to me. <laughs> You're like, as long as, as I'm not sweating. <laughs> exactly. As long as, <laughs> as long as it's holding me down, I'm okay. <laughs> I, I, prefer, and, I prefer unscented, actually. Okay. And what do the words pretty girl sweat mean to you? It means pretty girl sweat. <laughs> no. Um, it means that. It means what does pretty girl sweat mean to me? It means um, I, I guess people can you know think that pretty girls are supposed to be prissy and and not sweat. It means that to be pretty, you have to sweat, or you should sweat. Mm-hmm. And what is next for Angelique? Well, I, what's next for me is I I do want to write a book. I believe I have a testimony. I mean, we've only touched on on the surface of, um, of my life. And, um, I think my story could inspire someone or motivate someone or give someone hope. Um, so I do want to write a book. I do want to do, um, I want to do more speaking engagements. I want to really uh, connect with people face to face. Um, I don't know. I have so many things I want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, more brand partnerships, of course. Um, and you know, the whole social media phenomenon is so new. You don't really know where it's going to go. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, it keeps, it keeps growing and things keep coming to me that I, I never expected. So I, I just expect that to continue really. And what advice would you give to a seasoned professional who is afraid to make a change in their career or take a leap of faith? I say, if you love it, God will bless it. And um, life is too short to be at a job or have a career you're unhappy with. Um, You know, I could have probably, you know, stuck it out in music or something like that. I've been very unhappy. And now, granted, I went through a tough transition, but the reward is so much greater when you enjoy what you're doing. So I say take the leap just for yourself, for your own sanity, for your own happiness. And that's Angelique. Follow her on Instagram and Twitter at Angelique Miles. Just one more thing before you take off. Do you want to get a short email from Pretty Girl Sweat every Monday and Friday that serves as a daily dose of all things inspiring and allows you priority access to our upcoming events? Just go to prettygirlsweat.com. That's prettygirls with an S, sweat.com. Drop in your email and you'll get the very next one. And if you sign up, you'll soon discover that there's no hood like sisterhood. Until next time, always remember that good things come to those who sweat.